Hey there, it's the Planet Football Podcast. Grant Wall here with Luis Miguel Echegaray. How are you, my friend? The champions! That was terrible. I Man, broke out the way. People are going to turn this podcast off uh, after that brutal performance. I was right. expecting so much more. All right, I'll do it again. Ready? The champion! No, that was not The champions! <laughs> there you go. You have come to the Three Tenors <laughs> podcast where... We will talk about UEFA Champions League here for a few minutes. Uh, we also have an interview coming up that I think you'll enjoy with Carolyn Kindle Betts, the owner of the majority owner of St. Louis's MLS expansion team starting in 2022. I sat down with her uh, this week here in New York. Really interesting person. She is part of the only majority women-owned team in MLS and, and maybe actually in. American sports. I should check that out. But uh, interesting stuff about what they're doing. So stick with us after we talk a little Champions League here. Let's start. Real Madrid 1, Man City 2 in Madrid. My friend, this game changed a lot very late. It changed a lot very late. And um, you know what? It was a really good game. I think if you look yeah. back at you know the highlights or even just the overall full performance from both sides it really was a tremendous battle on so many levels right one of the main things that i was talking about before the game uh, even started was that i think the key was going to be how real madrid contained kevin de bruyne which is almost impossible and that mainly depended on federico alverde who's like just an underrated hero for real madrid and then on the other side how man city's back line was going to be able to sustain well we got the answers in this game right laporte unfortunately came off injured Fernandinho had to come in on the other side um, you know, we had Kevin De Bruyne just pulling the strings once again. A fantastic assist for Gabriel Jesus, but also just just was so lethal throughout the whole game. And, you know, in the overall context of it all, I really thought that, you know, it was a really good, resilient performance for Manchester City. I think that taking away everything that's been going on with this club, when you're a player, just what's going on in your head and when you're a manager and just the need to focus entirely on the game can be sometimes difficult. And I think coming in a hostile environment like the Bernabeu was really, uh, really commendable. Uh, hats off to Gabriel Jesus, by the way, who yeah. I thought was really, really good. Not only did he score a goal, but, you know, his run, you know, gave away for that red card for Sergio Ramos. You know, Real Madrid losing arguably their most influential player was a key thing and a really good win for Man City away at a hostile environment. Plus, think about all the things that Gabriel Jesus was asked to do in this game. Pep Guardiola putting him out on the left wide which is kind of crazy. And like when you see that at the start of the game, we're like, oh, Pep's overthinking things again in Champions League as he kind of has in the past. But it actually worked out pretty well, you know? And you ended up have, having De Bruyne and Bernardo up front, basically, for a lot of this game. So I, I do love the sort of total wild cards that you could never expect Guardiola to do. And this was another example of that. But this time it worked out. And um, I, I think if you're Real Madrid you do have to be frustrated here because you got a goal. Isco puts them up front uh, 1-0 and, and you have to be feeling pretty good at home about where you are as long as you can keep that. And they just didn't do it late. Raheem Sterling, I thought, made a nice impact yeah. earning the penalty coming on later in the game. Uh, but if you're Man City, I mean, they also just converted a penalty, which they hadn't done much lately. Right. And if you're Man City, I, I think you've got to be full of so much confidence right now and if you're Real Madrid with the Clasico coming this Sunday at home 
again, another home game. They had an opportunity to get two huge home wins this week. They already missed one opportunity. If they lose at home to Barcelona and go five points down in La Liga, that's going to be hard times for Zidane. There's a lot riding on this game this weekend, even more than usual. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, listen, the the, the key uh, point here is uh, Sergio Ramos's loss, I think, because out of anything that you can try and um, evaluate, analyze from Sinedine Sedan and what he's going to do when they go to the Etihad is, you know, offensively, you can pretty much figure it out. They have enough weapons to try and figure it out. At the back, though, you know, that Rafael Varane and Sergio Ramos partnership is crucial. So now that you lose that part, and to your point, El Clasico coming up, you know, there are key, key decisions to be made for Real Madrid. I just think that this was a really good performance from Man City. I think, uh, as you mentioned, Raheem Sterling almost as well, uh, you know, increased the level of how Man City played to probably a 30-40% when he came on. I mean, Carvajal just fell for the typical Raheem Sterling move and you know Man City feel, should feel very good in the Champions League uh, coming into the second leg let's move on Chelsea nil Bayern Munich three and I am going to remember this game as the Alfonso Davies game yeah because on the highest stage in world soccer and that's what UEFA Champions League knockout rounds are this MLS product was the best player on the field yeah he was un. Believable. Unbelievable. And what a great story. I mean, we've reported on him. You've interviewed him. We've talked so much about this person. You know, we don't have to go on and on about his storyline, but it is incredible and so inspiring, right? The, you know, his family, you know, leaving Liberia, uh, going to a refugee camp in Ghana. He was born in Ghana, then Canadian, you know, moved to Canada. And now look what he's done, an MLS product. And like you said, the best player on that pitch. And the left side of Bayern Munich just completely dominated. In fact, in every single angle, Every single statistic, Bayern Munich just dominated Chelsea. More shots, more shots on target, more possession. Just in any single possible way that you can think of, Bayern Munich dominated. And it's a clear, clear leader in the second leg. Obviously, we're going to talk about the almost surprising piece of news, right? That Robert Lewandowski will be out. Yeah. Uh, Four which, weeks. Which really says a lot um, in terms of who is going to be that tip man. Maybe Mueller. Um, Mueller, sorry. Um Maybe Gnabry might even push That's a little bit higher. That's what it sounds higher. like it might be. Yeah. So there's still decisions to be made. But I still, because of the three-goal cushion and because Hansi Flick has developed such a team cohesive unit, I still don't see anything but a Bayern Munich win in this one. You know, Bayern's had to deal with quite a few injuries this year. And, and obviously, it's a big loss not to have Lewandowski for the next month. There's some big games coming up for them, not just in Champions League, but in the Bundesliga, where they're in a, a real dogfight. But, you know, you hear Mourinho talk about, you know, he's missing his guys, and that's why they're they're losing so many games. You know what? Hansi Flick's not talking that way about Bayern, and they've lost just as many guys that are important. And that's something I find impressive. So we can all say that, well, ever since Guardiola left Bayern, the coaching hasn't been very good and blah, blah, blah. I kind of don't buy it. And I also am very impressed by what they've done to develop players or just make players that we've known about better. So whoever had the idea to put Alfonso Davies at left back, that was smart. You know, and this guy, you could argue, is the best left back in the world right now. I it's mean, crazy. It's an arguable comment and it's a realistic one. Absolutely. You know, and then you see a guy like Serge Gnabry who you know, had started to revive his career at Hoffenheim 
after you know the troubles at Arsenal. One's which, deemed not good enough for Tony Pulis, Grant. Correct, <laughs> correct. And I remember on this podcast uh, at the start of last season, I interviewed Serge Gnabry when they were in Philadelphia preseason. And I actually, I, I will admit this, that when... Uh, the Bayern Munich press people asked me who I wanted to interview for my podcast. Serge Gnabry wasn't at the top of my list. And at a certain point, I think I interviewed another guy on that trip, uh, Arjen Robin. But you know, at that point, I kind of thought Gnabry would be an afterthought, but the Bayern people were like, really, we he's been great so far in preseason. He's going to make an impact for us, and we believe in him, which was smart because he's been terrific. And just scoring so many big goals. So many in London, by the way, this Champions oh, yeah. League. Byron loves London. He really does. Um, and so I just find that impressive. I, I think there's an aspect of coaching that is underrated, which is take your existing players and make them better. Yep. I think Bob Bradley's the best at it in MLS. I think there's other coaches. Jurgen Klopp's another one who's taken existing players. Liverpool didn't do any major transfers last summer, and they're still so much better this year even I think that's an underrated skill absolutely listen out of any and we're not going to get too much into it because this really is Champions League analysis but out of any sport this game of ours is about how to develop tactically because you are not just working with yourself but you're working with your other teammates it's not as individualistic as other places but if you are learning the craft from the right manager the sky is the limit and the Bundesliga is the perfect example for that yeah, disappointing for Chelsea here uh, to be down three going back to Bayern. This one's pretty much done. Um, and I, I think if you're Frank Lampard, you really do need to focus on the league and getting things right because this hasn't been a good run for Chelsea. And listen, like all the arguments that they wanted to make sure that the transfer ban was reduced and taken away and they didn't really bring anybody in January. Let's move on. Lyon won Juventus nil in France and... The pressure is starting to grow on Maurizio Sarri, even though they're in first place. Are they in first place in, in uh, Serie A still? Let me just double check. Or is Lazio? Jesus, I should know this. <laughs> uh, it's a great race. They're at the top. They of the, are at the top, one point above Lazio. Okay. Um, pretty rare that you see a, a league-leading team with the coach really on thin ice, but this is the situation we have here. It's kind of like Valverde earlier in the year with Barcelona. Um and Lyon, give them some credit, you know. They created the chances, mostly in the first half. They deserved this. And the midfield for Juventus, not good. Sorry, afterwards saying that he can't seem to get these guys to understand that he, to move the ball at, you know, at pace, at speed, like with rhythm. And that leaves you asking, well, you're the coach. Why not? Yeah, I mean, the midfield thing, is it's its funny, like the, the irony of it all. I, I, I saw our friend Matteo Bonetti tweet about this, you know, all the uh, money and effort to bring Cristiano Ronaldo to Juventus and you kind of forget about who's supporting Cristiano right. Ronaldo. I wouldn't, listen, I, I take it a little bit of a different angle to this one. I think obviously Leon deserves this win. They worked absolutely so hard to get this one nothing, but it's still just one nothing. True. And I think that going back... Uh, you know, Juventus going home, I think we, you might see a different outcome. But I will tell you this, there are a few things about the situation. I actually was more worried about Juventus at the back. I thought Bonucci had a terrible game. 
actually. Um, he was very lucky that uh, Musa Dembele, who's just uh, just such a headache, yeah. uh, didn't score more goals. Uh, so the midfield to me is an issue, but at the back, I thought Juventus was a mess. The Licht once again uh, struggled, um, and I think they were overwhelmed by the overall reception. But the other note to take, by the way, is that Marcelo, Leon's defender at the back, probably should have gone a red card. So that's also a different type of rhetoric that we could have taken away. Having said all of that, the issue remains with Juventus, which is the overall strength throughout the squad is still maybe not good enough to win the entire tournament. And yesterday proved that. I do think, though, that Juventus will win this in the second leg. But harder challenges will come, and I don't think they'll overcome that. I think this is a similar feeling I had to Liverpool losing 1-0 at Atletico Madrid. You just feel like in the return leg that Liverpool and Juventus will probably do what they need to do to advance, but stiffer challenge than may be expected. Yeah. Moving on here, Napoli won, Barcelona won. And, you know, Barcelona's going to have the advantage going home at 1-1, but not the most convincing performance here. They go down to Adris Merton's goal, uh, end up getting the equalizer through Griezmann, but uh, not great. Vidal sent off, so he won't be available in the next game. Shocker. And, and Yeah, exactly. And PK uh, might be a question mark for El Clasico uh, this weekend. Uh, looked like he might have an injury. Yeah, and listen, the key part too is Busquets is suspended for for the second leg. Who was you know the provider uh, th- that started the chains in that in that goal? Obviously, as you mentioned, I still see Barcelona uh, as favorites. It's one all. Now they're heading to camp now, but you know. Napoli did what Napoli... You got Tuso clearly just did the typical uh, Gattuso way in many ways. Just hold, hold, you know, just sit sharp and just wait to counter. And Mertens' goal was fantastic. Lionel Messi was underwhelming uh, for his standards, absolutely. But I think that, again, the second end will prove different. But again... You know, we look at this squad, we look at the way they play, and you think, is there really not enough creativity and pace that could have been done more in order to maybe gain an advantage? I think you might see that in in the second leg. But I'll tell you this, I think the biggest priority is for Jordi Alba to come back. Because Jordi Alba, on the left-hand side, does so much in terms of going forward and interacting with the likes of Griezmann and Messi that he is able to create more headaches for the opponent's defense. And I think that he needs to be back for this game. But again, the injury that you mentioned to PK, Busquets suspension, Vidal sending off, and now uh, Jordi Alba hoping to come back. There's a lot of problems there that Barcelona has to fix. And this is, this is one all. You know, it's not like they came with a win. But I still see Barcelona leading. But again, just like Juventus, when you face a bigger challenge, a bigger mountain, like, say, a Liverpool, for example, forget about it. Always good to talk Champions League with you. Great to have it back every week on The Rhythm Like This. Now we will have our interview with Carolyn Kendall-Betts of the St. Louis MLS expansion team. Our guest today is Carolyn Kendall-Betts, the owner of St. Louis. Their expansion team is set to start play in MLS in 2022. Thanks so much for joining me. Well, thank you so much for having me. Uh, lots to talk about here in New York. St. Louis is one of the great soccer cities in American soccer history. What kind of response have you gotten from people in St. Louis to finally bringing an MLS team there? It was so exciting. And I mean, people were just 
there's really no word to describe it other than it was finally we're bringing soccer home i can't wait how do i buy season tickets i get to you know experience history with my grandkids and my kids so i mean the region has been super supportive and i think to use the word exciting is an understatement what is your personal connection to the city of st louis well, let's see here. Third generation um, of a very successful business. So um, the city has been great to my family, both professionally and personally. And so I think my grandfather really started about, you know, his love and passion for St. Louis and making it, you know, a world-class city. Uh, my parents, my aunt and uncle, they continued that. And so I think in our generation, it was we need to continue to elevate St. Louis to the international status, I believe, that it is. And so our family really focuses on projects that do just that. There had been an attempt to bring an MLS team to St. Louis a couple of years before yours that was unsuccessful. Can you tell me the story? How did you get involved with the bid? Well, I think um, in a very positive way, a lot, there was a lot of lessons learned. Mm -hmm. And so I think when we were wrapping up some other bigger projects that my family had been working on, it was, okay, there was a lot of excitement around this, so maybe we should go figure out why, um, not being a soccer family, by the way. And it was interesting, whether it was sort of anecdotal, just uh, social media, different ways. St. Louis fans really wanted a professional soccer team. And so, hence started the research and the journeys and the phone calls. And what we found out was, you know, MLS is a great league that's just on the cusp of becoming something huge. And so what a great opportunity for us to get involved, you know, right now and be able to experience that growth with them. Did the, the need and desire to get an MLS team for St. Louis increase in any way when the NFL team left the city? You know, I think um, the honest answer is no. I think that they're very different fan bases, but I think more importantly, St. Louis is just excited about their sports. Yeah. And I think because you have such a rich soccer history in St. Louis, people felt like we're probably more of a soccer town than anything else. Um, but, you know, we had the Battle Hawks XFL game last Sunday and I went and it was crazy. <laughs> St. Louis fans love their sports. They're loyal. Um, you know, and they will support anything sports related in St. Louis. And we're just excited that we get to be a part of that soon. Um, what are your plans on coming up with a team name and team colors? Well, <clears throat> it was interesting. So we opened it up on our website mm -hmm. and we got over 6,000 names. Um, <laughs> took a little while to sort through. Um, there were some common themes in there. Mm -hmm. So really right now, it's just working with MLS, um, trying to make sure we hone in the specifics of what names would be truly iconic and unique to St. Louis. Um, then from there, colors, crest. So we're hoping to be able to unveil all of that in the next couple of months. Personally, um, I'm excited because I, the number one question I get, what's the team name? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I, I, I'm hoping people have no more questions after they know, right? <laughs> Uh, St. Louis will be the first MLS club majority owned by women. Mm -hmm. What does that mean to you? 
Well, I think first of all, I feel very fortunate that my family can do this and is in that position to be able, first of all, to explore a professional soccer team. But um, second, I mean, my family's eight women <laughs> when it's all said and done. Even even the women are having women. So um, I think it's just been a great opportunity for us to really take the successes we've had, and that's defined in a multitude of different ways, and really be able to showcase the leadership opportunities that are out there. You know, you have three of us that work for the business. You have some that have started their own small, successful businesses. You have some that are incredible community leaders. So it's really just being able to find out what you're passionate about and continue that drive, continue forward, continue, you know, and I, you know, I say at the end of all the hard work, there's a huge reward. Uh, There are some MLS teams that also have teams in the women's league, the NWSL. Are you interested in that? You know, I think at this point, I've got to get some holes dug and some steel going in the ground. Um, I, I think right now, in order to really make sure we have a very successful 2022 season, that has to be the main focus. Mm-hmm. But certainly, we're up for suggestions, any ideas. But right now, I kind of have to put my head down and with my team and get 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 to March of 2022. The the stadium looks beautiful. I've seen the designs. Um, and from what I've read, you want to have it ready for when your team starts playing 2022. How are you feeling about all of that right now? Well, um, good. Uh, we did have maybe maybe a minor milestone to our group, but we currently the land is um, it was on and off access ramps from a highway. Mm-hmm. So being able to close those down mm-hmm. and actually start digging up those ramps was a, was a big deal for our, our team. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it was also a big deal for the city too because it's, hey, St. Louis, we're really doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, so we look forward to a, a, more, a more intense, more robust groundbreaking. But uh, for right now, things are, are going as planned. Great, great. Um, let's see what else here. Some, ah, MLS has these regular board of governors meetings where all the owners get together fairly regularly. What have you observed so far in those meetings that stands out to you? Um, Well, first of all, I think how kind everybody is. Um, We've only been to two, but everybody makes it a point to make sure they shake hands and say hello. And so somebody once told me they'll be really competitive on the pitch, but off the pitch, everybody has to work together. And I really do believe you see that. And while there can be some disagreements and certainly different points of view it seems that we at least the two meetings i've been to it seems that people get to a good place Mm -hmm. um i think you have a lot of variety represented age group business style um what other professional businesses or professional businesses but professional sports teams are there but i think um i always walk away feeling really good like we made a good decision Mm Um, but I think a lot of it comes down to the ownership group of these teams. And like I said, you know, you, you don't, there's no strangers, uh, which for being the new person uh, really makes you feel good about the choice you made. Uh, there's a spectrum, in a sense, of MLS owners based on some sp- want to spend more than others. Some would want to go long term, maybe be a bit more conservative. <laughs> it seems to me like some of the newer expansion teams in the league, like Atlanta, LAFC, um, are a little more on the we want to spend mm-hmm. end than maybe some of the original team owners. Mm-hmm. Where on that spectrum do you think St. Louis will fall in terms of like how much you want to spend on like star players and stuff? Right. Um, I think we need to bring in a team that has a lot more background and knowledge. So a sporting director, technical people. And the reason why I say that is because when you when 
you're not familiar with the sport and what the fans want, it's it's pretty hard to make a, a decision you feel good about. So I think once we start having that sporting side develop, um, and then we sit down with the ownership group and really talk about, you know, what is the philosophy of this team, I think that answer will just sort of organically come to us. But I think it's it's too early in this process to say, you know, we're going to be this team or we're going to be that team. Um, the only thing I can confidently say is we have to do what's best for the St. Louis fans. And they will dictate a lot of how the philosophy of the team rolls out. Two years from now, you're going to be starting uh, that season. What are you most looking forward to over the next two years? Um, well, let's see here. How much time do you have? <laughs> Um, you know what? I think it's just really, um, it's getting a stadium going. Yeah. It's getting a practice facility. It's getting those key hires. It's watching the fans grow with us, mm-hmm. you know, because there's a lot we have to do and a lot that we can engage them in. Um, and hopefully we attract more fans. You know, maybe there's a younger generation that in two years is ready to become a diehard St. Louis, whatever we are fan. Um, so I think that is what's most exciting is how we can continue to keep fan engagement and also to our corporate po- corporate partnerships are key. Mm. And how do we co-brand or do events with them so that the region sort of starts uniting and when that first kick happens, it it it's better than anybody could have expected. Carolyn Kendall Betts, congratulations. Thank you. Good luck. Thanks for joining me. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Planet Football Podcast. I'd like to thank Carolyn Kendall Betts, as well as producer Harry Swartout and everyone at Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. Remember, if you like the podcast, it would really help us if you go to Apple Podcasts and provide a rating and a review. And we'd appreciate you recommending the podcast to someone you know. See you next time.